You know, if you had been a follower of Jesus and you were walking along with Him, you had trekked a lot of miles, left your job probably. You now have uh, gone on record that you're a follower of His. It's been three years. There's no mistake, and now you are an identifier with this Galilean, and here you go walking with Jesus. You make your way into Jerusalem, and you kind of think, well, maybe when we're in Jerusalem, good things are going to happen. You have experienced, as the chapters just before our passage today say, that triumphal entry. The people are saying, Hosanna! They're laying their coats down on the road. They're cutting branches, pulling them, laying on the street. And Hosanna is a political statement. It is a statement that says, save now. That's what it means, save now. And so what they're saying to him is, we know you're coming to bring your kingdom. This is an amazing thing. But they should have taken notice that he came in riding on a donkey. He didn't come riding in on a great white horse like some of the Old Testament people would have done or some kind of a military horse. Nope, he came in. He came in riding on a very lowly servant level donkey, or as you say around here, a donkey. And he came in on that. And so as he makes his entry in, he then begins teaching his disciples over the next few days, and this is very interesting what he begins to teach them. You would think that he is going to tell us things like, I'm getting ready to set up a kingdom and you ought to see it when it happens. You heard that guy smart mouth me the other day? Wait till I get on the throne. I'm going to take care of him. That's what you would think. Save me now. You think the taxes are high? We're going to take care of those taxes when I come into throne. Guess what? I'm going to be multiplying a lot of loaves. You would think he's going to be saying stuff like that, right? You'd think he's going to be building some kind of a major cabinet, and you want in on it. As a matter of fact, one of the disciples' a mother, a couple of them said, can one of my sons be on one side of you and the other be on the other side of you when you come into your kingdom? Peter was so ready to fight for Jesus, he took his sword in the garden and he whacked this guy. He meant to get his head. He got his ear because the guy ducked. Jesus put it back on and said, put your sword away. Man, that's confusing, isn't it? That's sending a message and a signal that you're standing there saying, what in the world are you really about? What are you really up to? Who are you? What are you doing? There will be a little bit of churning in their mind when they come into, into Jerusalem. They don't stop at the temple. The temple mount... You'd think he was going to go stand up on the steps and say, look here, I'm here, new day, new way. Didn't do that. He heads on around now down the valley, and he starts heading up on the other side, and he's coming up to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's Gethsemane right there on the screen. You can see it. You can look it up. Still there. I've been there olive trees, so old, root systems, so massive. He takes them into this area. And then he starts talking to them about a metaphor. Jesus is always talking metaphors. You notice that about Jesus? He's always talking about, if he's in a field, he's talking about grain. If he sees some birds, he's talking about birds of the air. If he's talking about water, he says, I'll turn water, give you living water. That's what Jesus is always doing. It's amazing how he works, right? So he's coming through this vineyard, and he starts talking to them about a vine. Now, they understood something about a vine because they understood the Old Testament probably way better than we do. It's really all they had. And so they understood some of the Old Testament because the Old Testament, it says in Psalm chapter 80, as for instance, it says, you're a vine that has been transplanted. He's talking about, I transplanted you out of Egypt, and I put you into the promised land. 
Now, when you read the prophets, they began to talk about different things, Jeremiah, Hosea, different ones. They said, you produce wild fruit. You didn't do so good, they're saying. Isaiah comes along and he says of Jesus in 53, he'll be this tender shoot coming up out of the ground. They're getting the idea and the imagery of a vine. And so when Jesus says to them, I am the vine, they haven't completely checked him off yet as being the great king. They just thought he might circle back around and come back up to the temple or come back up to the seat of justice and power. He doesn't do that. He stays in the garden. He keeps teaching them from the vineyard lessons. And so I want to look at the three main players in this today and see the proclamations or announcements that Jesus makes about it because he wanted them to understand this. Right here as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he speaks this as one of his final words, one of his final messages. And he says, I want you to get this because there's life ahead. And I want you to understand how this new kingdom, this new life is going to work. And so he begins by saying to them, Look at verse 1 of your passage. I am the true vine. Jesus is the vine. So he is the big branch, he's saying. He is the big root, he is saying. I am the true vine. He doesn't just say I'm the vine. He says I'm the true vine. You've heard of the prophets. He says they're just people. I am the true vine. Divine and human. He says to them, I am the true vine. You've heard of John the Baptist? He's my cousin. But he says he is not the true vine. I am the true vine. Sounds egotistical, but it's not. He has to declare himself for who he is. We need to be authentic to who we are. He was authentic to who he is. And he says this. He has told us such statements as, I'm the, I'm the light. He said such statements as, I'm bread. He says, I am the gate or the door. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, like last weekend, as they preached so well, all the times I was away, but last weekend again, they were saying, he is a way, he is a truth, he is a life. Three-dimensional Jesus there. He says, I want you to understand this. I want you to get the scope of who I am, the totality in your understanding. I want you to embrace that. (laughs) So he says to them, I am the vine, the true vine. He says, I am the source of life because it is that vine that produces the sap that will go on out to produce the, the excellent fruit. He says, I want you to understand something. It all originates in me. It all comes from me. Let me just tell you something today, something you already know, but in and of ourselves, we're not that big a deal. But in Him, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, His power. He is resurrected from the dead. The eyewitnesses have been there, and they've announced it, and our lives have been touched by His powerful, transforming grace. As he reached out to all of us and says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, please at least blink your eyes. <laughs> Have a pulse. You're picking it up. He says he's not only going to give us life, but he said, I've come to give you abundant life. I want to ask you today, are you living barely life or abundant life? Are you just today just praying, God, help me to make it through today. Help me not to burn it, the, uh, the lunch after a while. And God... Or are you living abundant life? Or are you living in victory and sometimes in the overflow of it all and you're experiencing the, the beautiful bounties of God, the graces of God in many areas of your life? Jesus says that we can be born again. 
In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, Nick at night, he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. You must be part of the vine. That's what he's telling him. He said, well, how can I enter into my mother's womb a second time when I'm grown? And Jesus says, well, you need to be born of the Spirit, not from your mom. You've already had that birth. That's your first birth. But your second birth needs to be of the Spirit. You, inside, everything about you, your will, everything about you. Give it to him. Be born again. In Hampton Court near London, there's a picture that's come up on the screen here. You can see, and if you pan out, you'll let the people at home see that too on your, on your shot of me. Shoot the screen. You can see that vine. That vine is a thousand years old, and it has limbs on it or branches on it that go a couple hundred feet. Some of you may have, maybe have been there. You may have seen it. Um, they still tend it, and they still prune it, and they still lift it up, and they still work it, and it produces tons of grapes every year. We're like those branches a couple hundred feet from the main part where it started, but we're hooked into Jesus, and 2,000 years later, we are still producing for him. This is absolutely powerful. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And then he says this about us, verses 1 through 8, he says this. He says, you are the branches. Did you know you were a branch? <laughs> Maybe you came to church today not really thinking about that. But really, in his storyline here and what he is saying to us for us to understand and grip, he says, you are the branches. He wants us to catch this. Jesus says in verse 5, you are the branch. In other words, you're the pipeline through which I'm going to flow to impact the world in which you live and the world in which I have created, he says. And I want you to be able to experience that. So he says, you are a branch. Notice a progression. If you have your Bible open or if you logged on, you see it there. Look at verse 2. Notice verse 2 says, no fruit. Then it moves to fruit. And then look in verse 2. It says, more fruit. Verse 5, verse 8 says, much fruit. And verse 16, if you go on down there, it says, lasting fruit. It wants us to be very fruitful and productive in our life with Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you a question. Only you can answer it. Are you living a fruitful, abundant Christian life in Christ? That's the life he intends for us to live. He doesn't want us to just live a barely Christian life, just squeaking by. He wants us to live an abundant life. I don't mean having all this stuff, but an abundant life in Him. And He wants us to be able to be fruitful. He wants us to be able to be fruitful. So what in the world is fruit in Christ? How are you going to be fruitful whenever you're working where you work, when you're living where you live? How are you going to be when you're married to who you're married to? Lord Jesus, help us. Anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Like Nicodemus, you get born of the Spirit, you're born anew, you're born again. That's what he's talking about. And so he says the old life is gone. What's the old life? I used to try to work out my own salvation. I used to look for God, now I found God. That's the old life. It had a lot of products that weren't very fruitful in good ways. I was very self-centered. I maybe did things I shouldn't do. I did for sure. And so now I've come to Christ, so I don't intentionally do that kind of stuff. Because look what it says. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Now I'm growing in Him. I'm on, I'm on the vine. I'm a branch, and I'm growing in Him. So what it means is I'm going to honor God in my decisions, in my life, in my attitudes, in my actions, wherever I am. 
It means I'm going to active, listen to this, I'm going to actively follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to commit to prayer and to Bible study. I'm going to commit to those things because that's how I find the nutrients for my soul. That's how, though I'm a little baby being born again, now I've got to grow. It's how I grow. Coming together like this is how I grow. But it's not doing, it's being. It's being. Being connected to the vine. He provides for us the nutrients we need to get out to the fruit we are to produce. A little kind of tough message on a Sunday morning when it's raining outside to 9 o'clock to think with, but think with me a little bit here and you can see what's happening here. So we have fruit every day in our life. Galatians chapter 5 puts it this way. It puts it this way. It says on the inside, it's an inside job. God works in the inside out, not the outside in. That's legislation. That's rules. That's religion. Inside job of Jesus is relationship with him. So in verse 15, he calls us friends. Do you think of that? God, holy God. He calls us friends. And so he says, you're going to have love, joy, and peace coming out of you. May not love everything. May not be joyful about everything. May not have peace all the time on everything. But in your soul, in your inner person, you have that. And that's what emanates from you. And it brings on the outward production, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are works of the Holy Spirit as He flows through us as the branch. It's powerful. He expects fruitfulness in soul winning, reaching out to other people. That's fruitfulness. And letting them know the good news. Using words, yeah, attitudes, actions, display. There's a particular place that I frequent often, very often. And... Um, I parked my car, I got out, I went into this place, and there's a fellow there who has asked me some God questions. He is developing a God conscience and a God awareness. He doesn't know much about God. And pardon the personal illustration here, but he and his coworker were there one night, and I talked with them, and Spent some time chatting with them and listened and talked, and we exchanged pleasantries. There, two later, I went in, saw the guy again. He said, you know, my friend and I were talking. He said, if he ever gets religion, he wants to try yours. You're the nicest guy we know. You're surprised. I was too. But then I get to thinking. That's the way it ought to be. They don't have to know how to articulate it. I keep pointing them toward Jesus. When I get a chance, just toward Jesus. He said, if I'm lifted up, just toward Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Fruit of good works. A lot of people want to just jump to this. They don't want to be born again. They want to just jump to the good works. I'll do the good works, Jesus. I, I, I won't. You know, lie and cheat and run with those that do. I'm not going to do that. But he's not looking just for that. He's looking for you to have a relationship. He calls you friend. So as he calls you friend, <clears throat> he wants you to be involved in what Colossians 1 and 10 says, a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of the Lord. In other words, when you come to Jesus, you just don't know it all. 
And let me tell you something else. When you've been walking with him 50 years or whatever you've been walking or 70 years, you still won't know it all. There's still something to learn. That's why he left you here because you're not ready for heaven. And he's getting you finished up and then he'll take you on up there. See what I'm saying? It's not that hard. And then he says another fruit is a praise from the fruit of our lips. What kind of fruit is coming from your lips? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 puts it this way. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Isn't that powerful? Oh, my stars. He's wanting us to be able to represent him wherever we are, on the ball field, at school, wherever we are in the locker room, or wherever we go to the gym or whatever we do. He wants us to be able to represent him. And the fruit of our lip ought to be able to have enough accusation that they could charge us for being a Christian at some point, if they ever needed to charge us. I hope they find me guilty. Look at verse 16. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you. Isn't it good to be chosen? You know, on the kickball field, you maybe didn't get chosen on the baseball team. They didn't want you. Oh, shoot, they showed up. Yeah, you go sit on a bench. You're on the team, but you go sit on the bench. No, 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 no. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you and put you in the world. I put you in the game, he says, on the vine to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil in your family network. You may resent it. Don't. You're there to produce fruit. At your work, don't resent it. You're there to produce fruit. As fruit bears, whatever you ask in the Father's name in relation to me, he gives you. That's a powerful passage for another time right there. And then notice the third player in this whole story that Jesus is telling here. That is a true story just before he would go to the, to the trial, the cross, the crucifixion. He says in verses 2 and 3, God tends to his vineyard. Now this is important to know. Because you don't just pray a sinner's prayer and just say, check that box, now I'll go live how I want to live and do what I want to No, you're connected to the vine. So you're now his and his friend. And so now as you are his adopted child, and now as you're his family, he wants you to represent the family well. And so God tends us. And here's a point where a lot of people, they end up going, ooh, and they get all scared because you have some mental image of God that he's about ready to smack you over the head. And some of you have come from legalistic backgrounds or conservative backgrounds. I understand this because you think if you do a sin, you backslide and you're not too careful. You feel like, oh my goodness. And you, you can't live under that condemnation. That's not, that's not good. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, residually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If you willingly did something, confess it out. It's not permission to go sin, but listen, we're human beings. You're not Jesus. Tell your neighbor, go ahead and nudge him. You haven't touched him in a long time. Just go ahead and give him a big old elbow and tell him, you're not Jesus. Can you do that? They need to understand. Now look what happens. I love this because you see the tenderness of God coming to work here. You don't so much in the translation, in my opinion, of the English, but when you understand a little bit of the background in the Greek of this, you begin to understand a little bit about what Jesus is saying. My father is the vine dresser. My father is the farmer. All right, we get that. My father is a farmer. Now, I don't know a whole lot about vineyards. I've seen them. I've been to some. So, This is what I understand. Vineyards are still tended by hand. I saw a a, uh, video in my study that this guy was talking about a vineyard, and he said this. He oversees this vineyard, and he says, we still have to come out here and remove the branches individually. 
So see the branch on the ground, he said? Yeah, we could, you know, you can see him. People around him say, yeah. He says, we take those off, and he pulled a couple off. He said, these don't need to. And the reason they pulled some of this stuff off is so they could send more sap down to the productive areas. So we're going to take away, listen to this, this makes sense, I think. You take away the unproductive, right? So you can have production. Now think about your life just for a second when you're thinking about this, and you think about God. He is going to tend this vine. He has the best interest in mind, right? So notice what happens in verse 2. There's a Greek word to define what he comes to do here, and it could be defined this way. It is A-I-R-O, it's a Greek word, and it means to lift up as if the vine was laying on the ground, subject to the, to the uh, worms, subject to all the dirt, clogging it up, covering it up. Listen to this. It does not get the proper sunshine. It does not get the proper air and ventilation it needs. So what does the vine dresser do? He comes along and he lifts it up. This is what Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He lifts it up. And what he's going to do is he's going to tie it into the, into the trellis of the thing, into the vine, and he's going to tend to this that it might produce the fruit that he is looking for. Do you get the tenderness of God? He's going to take away what doesn't need to be there, and he's going to go ahead and do away with that. That's rubbish. We don't need that. He's going to burn that stuff. Taking away some things from our life that we don't need that would keep us from being productive and very fruitful, he is saying right here. Some of the branches, he says in verse 2, are pruned. They are pruned. Now, when I was a kid in junior high and high school, I mowed a lot of lawns. I did a lot of that. And I went to the Barker's house up near the ball field where we played, and I was getting ready to mow their yard. I mowed it every Thursday. And when I went to their house, uh, Mrs. Barker took me to the backyard, and she says, okay, Kevin, here's a patio and the fence we've just put up here. We've got these vines. are doing great over here. I just planted this new one over here by the pole. It's this far or so away from the pole. She says, just don't bother that. It's a vine that's this tall. The fence is on up here, so it has some growing to do to get there, right? If you're tracking with me, say yes. So it's here. It's got to go here. Now, I finished mowing the yard with my push mower, right? Got all done with that. Finish that up, and now I have a weed whacker, right? Any of you have a weed whacker? If you do, lift your hand up. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So I, it, mine was a brand called Weed Eater. It was, whoa, whoa. So anyway, I fired that sucker up, and I'm running around the yard. I'm getting the, you know, the trees. I'm doing the sidewalk, and I'm getting their patio looking real good. And I come over that fence post, and wouldn't you know it? The vine that used to be this tall is now this tall. All of a sudden, by accident, having a conscience, I went to her, and I said, Ms. Barker, I have messed up. I didn't mean to, but I did. I cut your vine. She did not fire me. She let me come back next week. She, she let me come back. I was glad. So the next time I went back to her house to mow her yard, I went to the backyard very carefully, and I looked. And the vine that was this tall, that went this tall, was now this tall and touching the bottom of the fence. I was blown away. I went to her and I said, Ms. Barker, what happened? Did you buy a new vine? She said, no. She said, no. She said, I just watered that vine that was there to just see what would happen. And look what happened. 
I had no clue what I was doing when I trimmed that vine back by accident. But it's what it needed. God knows what He's doing when He trims us back. He knows what we need. And you're doing this and saying, oh, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. And God comes along and says, no, I'm going to touch you. You're mine. We're friends. You're mine. I've adopted you. Christ's blood is now flowing through you. And he says, I'm going to, you know, the Holy Spirit's in you. He's giving you life. He says, I'm going to take some stuff away. I'm going to bring you into, I've engrafted you in now. You're part of the vine. And so, oh, I got to take some of this junk away. These brat limbs that don't help us to get the production of your life that you need. Oh, yeah. He's speaking to some today. Now, what happens is this. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. When we're here and we get cut back to here by God, we get resentful, bitter, broken, and mad if we're not careful. Why did you diminish me? Why did you have me go over here? Why did you have me do this? Why did you not let that happen for me? God, I didn't marry them. God, I didn't get that job. God, I didn't get into that college. God, I didn't buy, 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 buy. We go on down, don't we? And God says, guess what? I'm tending you. And guess what? I know what I'm doing. And if you'll stick with me and not give up now, not give up now, something good, Doug Oldham used to sing, is going to happen to you. Happen to you, happen to you. Something good is going to happen to you because God is going to grow you in ways you didn't anticipate and dream possible. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to be producing some fruit, and there are going to be some people that are going to stop you and say, If I ever get religion, I want to get what you got. I'm going to interview a couple real soon, but let me tell you the back of their story. They didn't grow up really close to God. Kind of had a wild beginning, but recently have come to faith in Christ. And as they've come to faith in Christ, they're not bashful about Jesus at all. They attend one of our other campuses, and we FaceTimed the other day, and it was beautiful. And they were telling me their story. And then they started telling me about the transformation and how things have been taken away and things have been added to. And the husband said, yeah, I've got about 30 of my friends and I've still got them. And he says, I send them out Bible verses and I send out promises and I send out faith-based thoughts to them. And one of my friends said to me the other day, can what happened to you happen to me? And he said, yeah, how about we have a cup of coffee Friday over at the cafe, and I'll talk to you about how you can have what happened to you, what happened to me. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's what Jesus was talking about. And that kind of kingdom is a lot better than the one that the people were wanting him to build. Because it's transformative and gets us ready for the ultimate kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven, which eventually will be. So what we do is we despise those things. But I want to say this to some of you that feel like you've been cut back like that vine I cut. Zechariah 4.10, you need to mark this in your heart. Do not, everybody say do not. do not. 
Do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices in the work that He has started. This is powerful. This is powerful. Now, let me give you very quickly four very quick illustrations of pruning and lifting. If you're ready to receive them quickly, say yes. Yes. I heard you even online. I think I might have heard you. Robert Schuller, Sr., said this a number of years ago, and I picked up on it because I thought, wow, that's, that's powerful. He said, I failed at golf to become a better father. Pruning. Golf isn't wrong, but for him, he knew it would not help him do what God wanted him to do, and he produced great fruit. Second, Jeff Hooten said, I have killed people. I have killed people with every game system available. I've learned where to aim and where to kill with a joystick, mouse, keyboard. I've killed for hours at a time. I've killed in my neighbor's house, killed in the basement, killed upstairs, big screen, little screen, killed everywhere, wherever I was, I killed. He said, I have killed. I've killed till late in the night. He said, till 3 a.m. in the morning. He said, because my adrenaline was surging. And he says, I was so into it. He said, I was doing what I was doing. And I couldn't stop. I did not want to stop. The kids are safely tucked into the bed. My wife has been asleep in her bed, in our bed, for a long time. And he says, finally, I finish, and I get up from where I am, and I link up the stairs to finally crash in the bed next to my wife. I close my eyes, but I cannot sleep because when I try to sleep, oh, no. He said, I can't sleep because I'm seeing all of those things come alive in my mind again. He says, I do this every weeknight. And then on the weekends, I find myself sitting at the computer screen on Saturday morning, there again, ready to attack, ready to kill, ready for the thrill. And then, he says, I hear the muted thuds land on the stairs above. That is my son coming down the stairs Soon, standing right beside me is my son. He is a little guy. He's looking at the screen as if it is forbidden fruit. And he looks at the screen. And I say, go back to bed. He doesn't move. I holler to my wife, come get your son. And then, and then, Jeff Hooten said, he asked a question I never saw coming. Daddy can I watch you play the bad game? He said, I prayed. Nothing wrong with games. But God was showing him, probably don't need to play it right now. You don't have to play it all the time. Don't have to own you. Pruning. Lifting up out of the dirt and saying, hook up to the vine. You know something interesting about a branch over here and a branch over here? They'll reach out for another branch on a... Miss something? Third example, Bruce Wilkinson, he was at a conference and he was now eating at a table and his wife and several other people were gathered there and they were talking about all kinds of things. Eventually the conversation went to spiritual things and when it finally got over to spiritual things, he said there was a lady sitting there who had looked a bit pensive and she was a little bit older, but he said, she said, my life is not fruitful I seem to be stuck in my relationship with God, kind of stuck in the mud, falling off the vine a little, needing some help. They talked about several things and wondered if it could be any of those. And she says, no, I don't really think it's any of those. And finally, Bruce said, do you have 
unforgiveness in you? She looked at him, taken aback, and she said, why do you say that? He said, I don't know, but sometimes that can be a thing that will stop us from being fruitful in our life. We hold on to that instead of holding on to Christ. Before long, we're bitter, we're broken. He said, why don't you think about it? Maybe tomorrow I'll run into you and we can talk about it a little more. See what you think. She did think about it. Five pages of single line think about it. She said to him the next day, you're right. I have unforgiveness toward my mother. All the things she did wrong, all the things she's done to me, I can't stand it. We need to get rid of this. And he said, you know, you can forgive her. He said, one evening after a session, his wife said, I'd like an ice cream. Would you like an ice cream? He said, yeah. She said, how about you just go get it and bring it back to the room? He said, okay. He said, I went to the ice cream machine. When I went there, I by accident ran into this lady who was part of a crowd there. She came up to me. Her face looked, he said, 20 years younger. She was able to forgive her mother. She wrote later and said, we've reconciled. The fourth illustration I want to give you is this. It's personal. It's not about a vine. It's about me. A number of years ago, when I started out in ministry, I had a lot of people affirming me. I've been student body president. I've been able to join on a council of a, of a church camp that was pretty important to me. And I moved along to be vice president of that. And there were a lot of things happening that seemed good. I was working at a college campus, and those are unique churches. And if you've ever pastored there or worked there, you know what I'm talking about. It's a different way of pastoring. doesn't mean better. It just means different. But you are there, and you get inoculated with You begin to think that it's better. And then they were going to multiply their church, and I was set up to be the pastor of the campus pastor, if you will, the new pastor at the new church. And on Friday before Sunday at the Overland Park Church in Kansas, they decided they would go a different way. I've told you some of this before, but it shot me off the Christmas tree. I was here, not here, no big deal. I was a young guy, and it, it just cut me way back. It hurt. I fought bitterness, anger, thought about leaving ministry. If they're going to treat me this way, I don't want any part of it. But I didn't. I left there and I moved to Columbia, Missouri and pastored a Rockbridge church in Columbia, Missouri. While pastoring at the Rockbridge church in Columbia, Missouri, God taught me a lot of things. I knew I wasn't going to be there long. We built a beautiful extra building that they wanted, kitchen, cafeteria, family life, all the office, whatever they built. It was, it was beautiful, Cadillac. I knew I was not there long. I was in transition. Then I went over to Calvary Wesleyan Church. Pastored over there on staff, <clears throat> went through a few changes, and eventually I was a lead pastor for a number of years. I was in my sixth year there as lead pastor. I was there six and a half years or so. And the people were wonderful. 
uh, I got to preach every week, and they loved to hear preaching there. And uh, I was eating my heart out with it because it was I was hitting pay dirt. But we had outgrown the facility, and we were landlocked. It looked like nothing. So I went over for a two-year run, and some of you here were with us then, and you helped us look, pray about the possible expansion. We went over to Old Life Church. We went to a drive-in to see about buying that property. We went to property down in Saucon Valley. We went all over the place looking for property to move to out by 22 uh, near Muhlenberg. We looked at property. Finally, we thought we were going to be able to maybe get that property over to, off of Grape Street that is now Whitehall Manor. We had the Kogan Industry draw up plans. We were going to build a <clears throat> gymnasium that we would use as a sanctanasium, and then we were going to put a sanctuary in, then we were going to put cafeteria for hundreds of people, and uh, we were working to, with Hoping to Get Bethlehem Christian School to build, uh, take the last part of that and make that into classrooms and lease it to them for very little. We had our church almost sold. We had that purchase close. I call it Black Monday for a long time in my life because on that Monday, Ed Keyes, who worked with me closely on that project, said, no, Bethlehem Baptist voted not to buy. And I learned that the property decided not to sell to us. After all, they were going to make Whitehall Manor. I knew I was done at that point. We had tried everything. We bought up some property around, but that was not to fulfill a dream that God had put in my heart. I knew it. And so we did what we did, and it's a great church. There are great people there. I respect them a lot. But again, I was just cut way back. Went to the Midwest and never hit stride. And I was thinking, God, I know you've built in me much more I think you built in me opportunity to be on television. I think you built into me opportunity to have a large church or a good-sized church. I think you've built into me the opportunity to create all kinds of things through your vision and your spirit. Just use me how you want. Sold out. And I got the call from Harry Wood to come back here. I've had calls to go to big churches out of here. And I've turned them down. Churches that were running quite a bit more than here. And I've turned them down because I wanted to see it happen here. Not woe is me, not blah, blah, blah. We've been on television. I've spoken to the potential millions, nine million viewership in this region on 69. It reaches into Delaware. I've had responses from Delaware over in Jersey. We've, had, we've heard from all over the place. And we felt like we needed to multiply campuses, so we started doing it. But I'll tell you what happened. He cut me back, and I stayed faithful. He cut me back, he lifted me up, and I stayed faithful. If when you feel cut down, you quit, you'll never see what he could have done if you had stayed faithful. Early on in our marriage, I got cut down. And I was like, really? Satan did his worst to try to get us. And I said, no, I'm not. And I'm not giving up. And she's not giving up. And we stuck with it through a very challenging moment 
Neither of us did anything outside the marriage. But it was a very tough moment when I didn't know if it was going to make it or not. And I said, God, I said yes forever. And I stuck with it. And 35 years later, and three kids and two grandkids. Now, we named our kids headache, hemorrhoid, and hernia. (laughs) They have given me what gray I had. But I have seen what could be. I sense the Holy Spirit so here right now that I don't really know how to end this message. You have listened to me like you have not listened to me in a long time. Not because I've been gone and not because I'm good, but because His Word came through me so much to you today. And He's expanded it so much. You're catching something. Somebody's getting, not somebody, I sense Him all through here. You hear that quiet? That's holy quiet. Happens every once in a while. It happens often in here. Real often. Today he's picking somebody up or he's getting ready to off the ground and say, come on up here. You don't need to be down there. That takes you into areas you don't need to be. It's not productive. You're in me. You're a new creation. See this over here? We're going to take this off. You go, ouch, I don't want that off. He said, ouch. And he takes that off, and pretty soon you start realizing, I'm growing. Oh, my goodness. That opens a whole new door. That opens a whole new place, a whole new way. Are you kidding me? May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, now and forever.